Today, ITB Friction Syndrome, what you need to know. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line, and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Okay, back on the mic to record another episode. I want to start with making two announcements, and the first one being that the podcast has stayed in the top 10 for trending Aussie running podcasts for the last week, so it's been a huge surprise to me, and um, just checking the the charts, it was... um, unreal to see. So thank you everyone for supporting this podcast. I really appreciate you joining the Facebook group and telling me what you like about the podcast. And if you want to support it in other ways, I think the best way you can do it is to leave a review. Uh, Just go onto iTunes or the Apple podcast app if you have an iPhone, or if you know someone who does have an iPhone and just uh, find, search the podcast in the search bar, scroll down, it'll say write a review. That would be awesome. And also, if you want to create like a a post on an episode that has helped you and that will help raise the awareness of the podcast in itself, uh, I don't just say like, oh, this is the podcast. It's awesome. Go there. I'd rather you share one um, episode that has really impacted you personally or something that's really uh, that a subject that you've learned more about or something that you hadn't really realized or something that has really changed the way that you have implemented your running and to share that, share that with people because that's how we uh, not only build the awareness of the podcast, but actually to share knowledge and the running community is really good with sharing knowledge. And so, yeah, if you can do that, that'd be unreal. So that was the first announcement. The second one, which is a bigger announcement that I'm more excited about, is that I have started to build a Run Smarter online course. And for those who have followed me on social media, you've probably seen that I've um, put out a few teasers and uh, talking a little bit more about the online course as it's approaching its launch date. And yeah, so I've been building it for the past six weeks and at the moment I'm putting in about five hours a day while I'm stuck at home in lockdown and produced about 12, 13 hours of content so far and I'm about 80% done before uh, I can actually launch this uh, course and I'll be continuously adding content as people are diving in and learning and giving me feedback about what more topics they want to hear. And it's just another another avenue for me to educate runners. It's been a huge passion of mine to educate runners, make sure they're making the smartest training decisions they possibly can, and just trying to bridge the gap between physio knowledge and everyday runner knowledge. And so, yeah, it's just been another avenue for, to doing that. And it's been a bit tough with the podcast, just doing an audio format to really get some knowledge across or get uh, my point across a lot. So the online course is just ways that we can recite studies, videos, like pictures, 
and even just categorizing topics and subtopics a little bit better when we have that visual component. And we do talk about the topics similar to what we do on the podcast, but we just go into a bit more depth. And yeah, it's just been another way for me to interact with you as well. And as the the course and the business model sort of gets laid out, I'll let you know uh, how it will allow you to uh, better connect with me and better connect with the podcast through that online course as well. So it will be a monthly subscription. I'm still building the the business model and there will be an early bird pre-sale price. Uh, So stay tuned for that if you're interested. Today's podcast, I want to talk about ITB friction syndrome. So first of all, what is the ITB? Most people know what it is but or know where it is and I want to start by saying the ITB is not a muscle. It's not a ligament either. It's just a very, very thick, fibrous piece of connective tissue on the outside of your thigh or the outermost part of your thigh. And it just it's there to offer support and stability to the outside of the leg and to the hips. And you do have muscles that do flow into and become the ITB. So you do have muscles like the glutes and your tensor fascia latte, very fancy word, that do uh, flow down and become the ITB. But the ITB itself is uh, doesn't have any contractile properties. This is very, very thick um, connective tissue. And it can be put under more or less strain depending on what the angles of the, the knee and the hip are doing. Like I said, it doesn't have the same properties like a tendon or a muscle would. Um, it's kind of lifeless and just acts as like a passive support. So your ability to stretch the ITB is extremely limited. And I don't think it actually stretches when someone holds an ITB stretch. If anything, you're more just manipulating the muscles that are more around the hip Uh because that has a bit more of a pliability. It has more of that muscle component to it. So you're not really doing anything to the ITB, and you're certainly not doing anything if you foam roll the ITB and just compress it and squash it around. And that leads us to what actually is ITB friction syndrome. And it is the second most common running injury that we see, and it is definitely the most common pain that you see on the outside of the knee. And so it is, you can think of it as this fibrous tissue that passes the outside of the knee and it passes the outermost bony part of the knee before it attaches further down the knee. And so the ITB has to converge and pass this bony ridge before it attaches further down on the leg. And it's that bony ridge that the ITB compresses onto when it when you run that can lead to pain. And so that's exactly where the pain's generated. It's a very localized pain symptom and usually is presented with, a. let's just say if we're talking about the running population, it's presented with an uh, excessive running uh, history. Like if someone's increased their running mileage, it's exceeding the ITV's load capacity and exceeding its ability to tolerate compression and we'll start getting sore. And it's also the case or very similar for someone who's doing very repetitive running. So running in the same direction, let's just say on a track, because if we're allowing that ITB to compress on that bone or 
uh, have this cross friction on that bone continuously every single step and you compare that for your 20,000 steps that you take during your run, that's when it can start to become sore. The other common characteristic when it comes to the running history is just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow a sudden change in more downhill running. And that can be because when you run downhill, it puts the knee at a different angle when you impact the ground, which subjects the ITB to more strain. But it's also the impact of gravity as well. And there's a lot more of a thud and a lot more jarring actions when you do run downhill because possibly you're running at a um, either a faster speed, so you're slapping onto the ground with a bit more force, or you're trying to pull the brakes and allow that deceleration phase uh, to have a little bit more control in that deceleration phase, and that can put more strain on the ITB. And so if you start doing more downhill running, you can see that the ITB strain starts to increase. You're also going to be presented with uh, just really tenderness if someone was to feel around right where that bony ridge is, where that ITB crosses over that bony ridge, um, and it's almost always present with tenderness. While we're talking about this tenderness on the outside of the knee, we can also talk about uh, conditions that we need to rule out. So the first condition being uh, your lateral collateral ligament injury. So it's the ligament that's very very close proximity to the ITB attachment and it can be uh, labeled or it can be diagnosed with a couple of other stress tests and feeling around for the right type of ligaments, which does take practice and does take a health professional to accurately diagnose. But a lateral collateral ligament injury is its history is a little bit different. So it might be for a runner that has a bit more trauma to the knee. So change in direction or maybe um, contact sports when someone's tackled you and it's caused the knee to bend in a different way. That's usually uh, present with your ligament injuries. The other one can be like a hamstring tendinopathy down further at the knee. So your hamstring, your biceps femoris attaches behind the knee but to the outside of the knee and it can develop a tendinopathy there as well as ruling out a few other uh, pathologies deep within the knee joint should be ruled out as well. Obviously it takes a health professional so see a physiotherapist if you are wanting uh, clarity around the diagnosis. So the ITB gets sore. Uh, why does it get sore? And I think I alluded to a little bit before but there are two theories when you delve into the research and they kind of have two explanations which are different and open to debate regarding which ones are more accurate. So the first wave of thought is it's due to compression. So when that ITB crosses over that bony ridge and applies tension over uh, that bony ridge, there are a couple of really sensitive nerves and uh blood vessels that get irritated and that can be a cause of ITB friction syndrome but much to the label of what we call it 
The second wave of thought is the fact that it actually creates cross friction and impinges. And as the knee straightens and as the knee bends, that ITB will flick over back and forth over that bony ridge. And if there's a lot of back and forth rubbing over the bony ridge, it can start to get sore. So there's evidence to confirm and deny both of those theories in the literature. If you read it with people like cutting open cadavers and seeing what the anatomy is like and there's people doing scans and ultrasound it will show the ITB behaving a bit differently but I like to think of it a bit more simplistically and think of it as it's just the ITB having elevated strain so the ITB is undergoing more strain than what it's used to therefore it gets sore and I like to just think of it that way because if you keep it simplistic um then the treatment and the management, all that just becomes a lot more simplistic as well. Okay, so for running, we know that the ITB is at its highest strain at the deceleration phase. So it's when you first make contact with the ground when you run, anywhere between that first initial contact and mid-stance. So between the foot first making contact and to the point where the foot is directly under your body, while you're running, that's that mid-stance phase, that's when the ITB is under the highest compression and the highest strain. And that's usually at when we talk, when we talk in uh, terms of angles, it's around about 30 degrees of knee flexion is when that ITB is under a lot of strain. The next topic I want to talk about are like risk factors. Is there anything to do with your running? Uh, is there anything to do with your training that might be leading to ITB friction syndrome? Or if there's any risk factors that are inhibiting your recovery to ITB friction syndrome? The first risk factor I want to talk about is training factors. And we've discussed this above, any increase in mileage, any increase in overall volume, any really acute changes in uh, variables such as like speed or terrain, like we said, hills, um, can definitely just create more tension through that ITB. And if you're exceeding its load capacity, then it will start getting sore. So that's, again, a risk factor. It's the same risk factor for a lot of injuries or almost every injury because you're exceeding that capacity to adapt. Downhill running uh, is the main one when it comes to this injury that's a bit different to all other injuries. Risk factor number two, are there any strength factors that might lead you to developing ITB friction syndrome. And there are several studies that find hip weakness, uh, that there is a correlation between people developing ITB friction syndrome and having hip and knee weakness. Um, So there are several studies out there that prove that, but they do have systematic reviews that combine all of the available studies that are currently out there and they have concluded that there isn't enough evidence to or with large enough sample sizes to make that correlation and that just muddies the water a little bit and makes the conclusions a little bit fuzzy but when it comes to my thoughts if you have if you don't have enough hip control and you don't have enough strength in order to maintain hip control especially during that mid-stance phase of your running, it's going to put the ITB at more strain because it can cause the knee to come in slightly, it can cause the the hip to drop slightly, and when those two factors are at play, 
uh, the ITB is put under more tension and it's put under unnecessary tension. So that's just my uh, thoughts on it and it can result in increased ITB strain and unnecessary ITB strain. Risk factors when we're talking about the kinematics, which would be like your running angles and the angles of the hip, angles of the knee, etc. Is there any correlation there? And again, there are several studies that have shown that a hip drop or hip adduction, so knees coming closer together when you're running, um, or hip rotation during your stance phase can be linked to ITB friction syndrome, but there has been a systematic review done in 2015 and showed no difference in peak hip adduction, peak hip abducting moments, peak uh, contralateral hip drops. There's been no correlation with any of those between female runners with ITB friction syndrome and healthy runners. So again, and they concluded at the end of that study that uh, there needs to be more research to create a unified conclusion. There needs to be more studies with more powerful studies with bigger sample sizes because uh, right now the available evidence just doesn't have enough power to show that. One thing that doesn't murky the waters and one thing you should pay close attention to is your step width. And so if you take anything away from this when it comes to the running style and developing ITB friction syndrome, it's around your step width. And a narrow step width would be someone who kind of runs, if you were to imagine while you're running, if you were to have paint a, a line straight in front of you and it just continues to go in front of you and you're making contact with your feet and seeing where it is in relation to that line, a narrow step width would be someone who runs with their feet really close to that line, almost on the line. So someone who runs kind of like on a tightrope kind of action or others actually cross over that midline. So if the right foot makes contact with the ground, it's actually crossing over and impacting on the left-hand side of that line that's heading straight in front of you. So that's what we call the crossover pattern. And there's been a lot of evidence and some really good evidence to show that people with narrow step widths have an increased ITB strain. And if there's one thing we know when it comes to all injuries, we don't want to subject it to more strain than it has to. And so if every single step you have a narrow width and a crossover width, you're subjecting your ITB to unnecessary strain. Hope that made sense um, without playing around with visuals, but uh, that leads us to some treatment options. What can we do to treat ITB friction syndrome? I have five points. One, being training modifications. This could be the easiest thing. If you can identify ITB friction syndrome as early uh, a couple of days in, then all we might need to do is identify any errors in training or what your training is looking like for the next couple of days and make necessary adjustments in order to settle down symptoms. That's when we catch it early. It can be really nice. So training modifications, always important. And just while it is flared up, we want to make sure we minimize any hills, especially going down hills. Treatment number two, any um, we can retrain the gait cycle. So we can retrain your running form if you are displaying a really narrow step width or a crossover gait pattern. Then we can try and make necessary adjustments. Um, 
but that would be under the clinical reasoning of your physio or your health practitioner. So um, see if it does require any changing or if you want to change it. Um, I've had some really good success with changing step widths with ITB friction syndrome, So, um, but you really need to pick your patient, so be careful. The third thing that we can do is uh, anti-inflammation and stretching. This is less important, but there has been some evidence out there to show that it can help. Um, I'll quote a study in a second, but uh, anti-inflammation medication uh, and say like Voltaren rubs and ice packs, those sort of things, they can be helpful, but in like a day, well, within the first day or so of it being really, really irritated, um, once you're back to pain-free daily activities, it's really not necessary. Strengthening. Strengthening is a big one. So why wouldn't you strengthen? It strengthens good for everything and it helps running performance and it helps just build up your hip stability and can help offload that ITB. There's no uh, really, really good evidence to show that increasing the strength of your hips will reduce the risk of ITB friction syndrome, but um, that's just because there's not enough evidence out there yet uh, to make a really, really nice correlation, but it is a really, really nice uh, way for you to take some a little bit of time off running maybe and build up those tissue tolerances before you slowly build your way back up and you're able to tolerate more of that running load once you can build up more capacity and you do that through strengthening. Some examples, if you want to get some really nice tight therabands and do some crab walks, they're really nice. If you want to look up um, hip hikes, they're, they're very, very good. Um, the ones that are more bang for your buck type of exercises, it's going to be quite hard to explain, but if you were to get a Swiss ball put it against the wall at about knee height and then you're almost doing a single leg squat with your outside leg. Um, you're doing a single leg squat with your outside leg but your inside leg is bent and pressing against that Swiss ball. Um, you're firing both glutes and you're going through uh, that 30 degree knee angle on the outside. So uh, combining the glutes on both sides is a really good bang for your buck exercise. Um, hopefully I have communicated that okay. Um, the fifth and final uh, treatment approach that I thought I'd chuck in here, which is surprising to me, but there are some studies out there to show that surgery can be a good option if conservative management has failed. So always, always recommend conservative management first and make sure that you undergo a really rigorous well thought out treatment plan. And if that fails, then surgery can be an option for you. And so there was a study in 2009 that showed that conservative management has proven to be effective. However, good results, good results have been shown in a sample size of about 32 runners for surgical arthroscopic, I'll say that again, for surgical arthroscopic uh, techniques for uh, these ITB friction syndromes that have been really persistent and have exceeded longer than six months. Uh, so yeah, worth knowing and worth mentioning. There is a study here uh, done in 2015 and they underwent a six-week rehab for people who did have ITB friction syndrome. So they had 24 runners and what they did was they put them on anti-inflammation drugs until they were pain-free with daily activities. They underwent 
therapeutic ultrasound one or two sessions and you can tell how old this study was back in 2005 because not a lot of people do ultrasound these days. They uh, asked their participants to do 15 seconds of ITB stretches three times a day. Then they did some strengthening. So their strengthening included side-lying hip, uh, side-lying leg raises when you lie on your side. And they also did hip hikes. And so they asked to start at one set of 15. And then as the six weeks went on, as symptoms allow, build up to three sets of 30. And then once you were pain-free with doing all of those, then you could go back into your running program and start a, well, they almost started a return to run program, you could say. And so after six weeks, 22 out of the 24 athletes were pain-free and at follow-up at six months, there was no reoccurrence of ITB friction syndrome. So 22 out of 24 is a pretty good success rate. One of them um, that wasn't a success, they just tweaked the management and made, I think, the numbers a bit more conservative and they went on to have a successful outcome as well. And one of them, the ITB persisted and they gave up running. (laughs) So, you know, that's still really good success rate. Good to keep in mind, they did in- include a whole bunch of uh, treatments. So they did their anti-inflammation medication. They did stretches. They did strengthening. They did a um, time off running and then a slow build back up. So that in itself can be very, very effective. So hard to know which one's more superior over the other, but good to know that com- com- a combination of all those things uh, produced a really good success rate. So I want to summarize with a few points and a a few key takeaways. I know that some of these episodes, the information can sort of jumble in amongst uh, everything. So if you want to pay attention to anything, it'd be this summary at the end. So here we go. Um, Point number one is to identify any acute changes in your training and make the sensible adjustments. Two, if there is any irritation, so if it's very, very irritable with daily activities, some anti-inflammation measures, can be helpful for a few days, and that can be uh, medication, Voltaren, and ice, that those kind of things. Stretching the ITB and hip flexors can manipulate the muscles around the ITB. Please note that you're not actually stretching and lengthening your ITB, and it can be used if not um, irritating the sore spot. So if a ITB stretch is compressing the ITB enough that it's producing pain, then don't do stretches. You don't need to foam roll the ITB. That's one point in itself. Uh, you're only just compressing and squashing down connective tissue that's not really doing anything. If you like the foam roller, then you can try and uh, you can try and roll the outside of the quad or the glutes or something that's a bit more pliable. Widen your step. I haven't really been keeping number of these dot points, but we're on to the next dot point. Widen your running step width if you're demonstrating a narrow running pattern. The second last one, strengthen the hip and the knee. Why wouldn't you? Strengthening is great. I'm going to be saying this several times throughout this um, podcast and throughout every episode. Please, please, please strengthen. And lastly, reduce the repetitive strain by increasing variability. So that being um, go out and do some trail runs, anything that offers a uh, different variation in your uh 
step placement. So foot placement, if you're going around um, routes up and down uh, different hills, up around trails, so changing direction, all of that just changes the load and changes the angles. And so we're not just at that 30 degrees of knee flexion the entire time. Um, so offering variety is often good when returning back from ITB friction syndrome. That is our whole episode. Hopefully that has made a lot of sense. Um, this is just off the back of me recording the module on um, ITB friction syndrome that's on the online course. And so I'm well into the knowledge right now is diving into all the research to prepare for that. Um, all the visuals do make a lot more sense. But yeah, I'm excited to bring you the next couple of episodes. I'm excited to be sharing the journey as I'm creating this online course and that's going to eventually lead to um, producing the product online. And I'll keep you guys updated with uh, everything that goes on from here on out. And yeah, so look forward to catching you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.